Hello and welcome to episode 168 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am joined, as always, by Evan Silva. And we are very excited today because we're going to talk the deepest form of fantasy with one of my favorite people in the Dynasty Streets. It is our own Pat Corain. Pat, what's going on, buddy? Not too much. Excited to talk some Dynasty. Dynasty it is. Evan, what's going on today? What's going on? I'm glad we're doing this. Uh, we've had a number of requests for uh, a, a, a dynasty-specific show or, or multiple of them. And so now we're starting off. The, the, the NFL news is picking up big time as we speak. Teams are franchise tagging and not franchise tagging players. And so that's going to impact uh, what we talk about here today. Yeah, you might notice a small, you know, roughly three to four inch bulge in my pants right now. That is because uh, Hunter Henry uh, has not been franchise tagged by the charges we found out about an hour ago. And Donald Parham is the lone tight end currently on the Chargers roster. We'll get into all that in a second there. Of course, Donald Parham of XFL fame, Donald Parham of week 17. Shout out to me fame. Donald Parham of the six foot nine. Nice frame. It's very exciting. Before we get into today's show, I want to remind everyone that our 2021 draft kit is live, has Karain's Dynasty ranks in it, which we are discussing today, all our best ball rankings and articles. Of course, the draft kit will continuously update until week one with Silva's top 150. Tons more for me and everybody else. It's just $34.99. Check it out. Okay. Before we get into the players, I wanted to catch up with Pat here for a second because I've noticed, Pat, you're playing best ball. You're playing DFS. I know you won the $8 GPP on DraftKings this past season for a big score. Okay, you're obviously playing Dynasty. I know you're in the Top Shot Street. You're doing the Establish the Edge podcast with Leone, which, by the way, part of the ETR podcast network. Shout out to us. Check it out on iTunes. And then you have an actual job in real life. So, so my God, man, how, how are you juggling what is going on here in your life? This sounds like a lot to handle. And I'm getting a puppy on Saturday. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite, quite a lot to juggle, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, one thing about Dynasty is – I always kind of get recharged right around this time of year with all the new prospects coming in and I just get, you know, a chance to do all the the research on these guys. And it kind of like, it's just like a new fresh wave of, you know, analysis that you get to do for the upcoming season. And it, it always kind of like relights the fire, but, but yeah, there's definitely a lot to juggle this year, this off season more than ever. Yeah. Well, I don't play a lot of Dynasty, but I do think that it is the deepest form of fantasy, right? And like, you don't have to just think about matchups or roles for one week, like in DFS. You don't have to just think about one season, like regular traditional fantasy. Like being good at Dynasty means understanding contract situations and aging curves and talent. I mean, honestly, talent is so much more important in Dynasty than any other form. So I actually find Dynasty really fascinating and really fun. I don't think for me, the ROI on the time it takes to be good at Dynasty lines up, right? Like I can't face like grinding Dynasty all year in like, you know, a uh, uh, relatively small stakes buy-in. But of course, that's why we have Pat to grind it for us. Um, Evan, any Dynasty takes in general? I know we're in that league together that Roto Pat runs. It's definitely a fun league. Are you in any other Dynasty uh, general takes on Dynasty? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in multiple other Dynasty leagues. Um I can't say with all the other stuff that I do, I'm, I'm that I'm always the I'm probably the the guy that everybody in the leagues hates because I'm not really I don't really do anything in the leagues and you know sometimes I might miss a trade proposal here or there. Um, I have made some 
I did. I made made one blockbuster trade this past year. I drafted Saquon Barkley in a startup, and it was our first year. And right after he went down, I traded him for Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen. Uh, did not win, end up end up winning the league, uh, but I think I came in second or third. And um, I'm still feeling good about that trade. I, that's actually, a, a, I think, a, an interesting topic to bring up. Saquon Barkley at this point, with you know coming off two really injury ruined years. Um, where do you feel about like where would you feel comfortable drafting him right now in a in a startup, Pat? Yeah, I still have him pretty high. Um, you know, I think he's still I have him fourth overall. So he's still kind of in that um, you know, foundational tier. But yeah, I mean it's it's tough because you know, in that range, you could also go with Jonathan Taylor, who looks like he's emerging as, you know, one of the best young running backs. I think what Saquon's shown is is more all-around ability, more, you know, receiving ability. And I think he has better chance of getting that 20-plus point per game upside um, just because of that receiving. He obviously does, does though, have a, a much lower floor than you really find ideal with this level of, of draft capital. So I I have him fourth, but I think McCaffrey, Cook, and, and Kamara are all a fair bit safer. Hey. Seems like a good time to ask you, Pat, how you do your rankings. It seems like a, a pretty uh, substantial undertaking to me to consider age and contract and role and future role and everything that goes into it. How do you do? How do you go about making the rankings? I think that the foundational thing is just looking ahead at the upcoming season and not looking past that. Trying to figure out, you know, same way as you would for redraft. What these are gonna, what these guys are gonna do in the upcoming season, because we aren't even very good at that. So if you try to predict, like, you know, okay, this guy's twenty-two, you know, therefore he's gonna have a three-year window of X production. That that type of stuff is is pretty thin. Like, a lot changes after every season in terms of what we can expect from these guys. So when I'm looking at age and contract, it's more about trying to figure out what a guy's market is gonna be if he does what I think he's going to do or what's his trade value going to be. If he bombs, what happens if he tears his ACL and misses the entire season, is this guy going to have a trade market? You know, one of the reasons why Saquon Barkley was such a good pick last off season is that he had a complete, didn't do anything this season. You know, he didn't really deliver you any value and I have him ranked fourth overall after that. So those, those guys are kind of the ideal selections in dynasty where you can bet on them to have that big production, but then if they don't, you're still going to have a ton of trade value. And the trade value is so important because that's what allows you to continue making moves. If you have a a liquid team full of players that people want to trade for, then you're going to be able to correct for mistakes. You're going to be able to be nimble when you think you see an opportunity opening up. I mean, in a lot of these leagues, there's not much on the waiver wire. So, the trade market is how you adjust your team year to year. And it's still really important to continue adjusting your team in dynasty because we can't look into the, into the future two, three years down the line. You still have to be able to adjust as we get more information. I think that's different than a lot of people play dynasty. I think a lot of people play dynasty under the strategy of, I'm just going to get all the guys that I think are the most talented. So I don't care about their situation, what they're going to do this year in the long run. I think Terry McLaurin's good. He's going to win in the long run. Let me add Terry McLaurin. Let me get Terry McLaurin on my team. It sounds to me like you're more in the camp of, well, we don't know. 
we, we're not that good at picking out. And when I say we, I mean, generally speaking, it's very hard to pick out exact talents and stuff like that. We're not that good at that. So let's just try to win this year upcoming while trying to stay relatively young. Is that right? Well, yeah, that's kind of the general premise, but there are situations where I'm quite willing to bet on talent. I think in particular at the wide receiver position where I feel more comfortable about identifying the talents there. And I do feel pretty strongly that talent shines through at the wide receiver position a lot more than at the NFL level. And if you hit on a guy who ends up being a a really talented wide receiver, he's likely to have a much longer NFL career. So Mm -hmm. I'm willing to bet on my talent evaluations at that position a lot more than at running back and, and tight end. Any strats for this time of year? I mean, it's very, very fluid right now with free agency, with the draft and everything. A lot is going to change. Uh, what are you doing with your teams at this time of year? Are you trying to make moves? Or are you just trying to kind of line it up and, and see how it plays out? Yeah, so I do like to build pretty young teams generally, um, go into that kind of trade value aspect. But I also often trade away my future picks. If, I, if my teams are contending, then I'm generally trying to trade away those future picks. So this time of year is a great time to try to get back into the rookie draft, you know, and it's, it's kind of nice to trade away your future picks, get all of that value up the, you know, the net present value is all in this current year. So you have the Mm -hmm. most firepower to win your league because the total value of your team is in the current year. If you do that by kind of targeting high floor players, rookies, young guys, that you're still going to be able to trade pretty easily this time of year. Then you can get back into the draft, load up on some rookies that you like. You can be selective about which part of the drafts you think are the right parts to be in for this particular year. And you can also, you know, in a lot of these leagues, your, your 2022 picks just opened up and you can trade those away. So mm-hmm. that's one thing that I'm really looking to do right now. Um, I think sometimes you can find guys like a Saquon who maybe, you know, the team who had Saquon last year, uh, things didn't go the way, the way they were hoping. They may be reevaluating what their 2021 season is going to look like. Maybe someone just swooped in and bought him low and is now looking to make a quick profit on him. So those types of guys that are coming off down seasons can be interesting. Um, then I'd also say that, uh, well, we're going to talk about kind of how to play free agency a little bit later. But one thing is with these all these rookies that you're doing your rookie research, if you have a chance to do a startup that occurs before the NFL draft, that can be a really nice way to pay off on some of that rookie research. Mm-hmm. Um, gives you the biggest leg up, I think, on your league mates. I feel like this year is this particular year is going to be tough to do true rookie research, though, because you know the the college football season was limited. Um, you know, some guys, you know, I mean, hey, if, if you get an injury, you know, in an eight game season or, or whatever, they're you know, a lot of the teams were playing like. You know, your, your season is dust. And also now we have, and we're going to get like pro day testing numbers, but I think for a lot of years, people have re- relied on the combine to get all the testing numbers pro day at pro day. You know, the, the players would be very selective with, you know, they might not participate in, in, you know, the three cone or whatever. Also there might be inherent advantages to performing the, the workouts at the pro days uh, as opposed to the combine where everything is theoretically on an, a level playing field. So what do we do about this year with, with regard to our rookie research or, or does this maybe benefit the dynasty players who understand that talent evaluation is very, very nebulous. And even the NFL itself struggles 
with talent evaluation. I mean, the, you know, the NFL stories are, are full, filled with, with uh, misses and hits, you know, and many, many big busts, uh, even, you know, very high up in the draft. So I don't know, are you changing your process at all this year, Pat, or, or how are you approaching this this year? I think this year I'm going to be leaning a lot on guys like you having to try to predict when these guys are going to get drafted. Cause I think draft position is going to be bigger than ever this year and and guys that look like they have a really high floor in terms of when they get drafted that's going to be more appealing to me than it might otherwise be I mean like Devonta Smith has some he's a pretty you know unique prospect he's going to be really small for an NFL wide receiver uh, he's coming in as a four-year player which isn't ideal but he's going to be a first-round pick you know so <laughs> there's only so low you can really put a guy like who's locked into a first-round pick um, you know in your in your rookie rankings and you know, the same for running backs. These guys who are getting buzz is, is day two guys and kind of there seems to be consensus that they are, you know, real day two prospects. Those guys are pretty interesting to me right now. And it, and once we get the actual NFL draft results, that draft position is going to matter, I think, even more than it typically does. And it is already one of the biggest, uh, you know, uh, factors that we that we consider. Yeah. And Pat's veteran rankings are up on the site right now, rookie rankings. His first run of rookie rankings will be up soon. All right. I want to start with some outliers in Pat's rankings. In other words, players that Pat is higher or lower on than consensus dynasty ADP. And let's start with Antonio Gibson. Pat, you have him 16th overall. Antonio Gibson is 22 years old. I thought his rookie year was kind of backward from expectation, right? Like we all thought he would play on pass downs and be a really good receiver and maybe just used as like a slot receiver at times because that's a lot of the position he played in college. Turned out, the Washington football team thought pass protection was an issue and he barely played on third downs. He barely played on pass downs, but he was actually excellent as an early down runner. So I see where you're at here by having him 16th overall. In other words, what we didn't, what we had questions about, could he run between the tackles? He answered that as a rookie. What we didn't have questions about, he hasn't gone to spread his wings yet. Still 16th overall for a player on Washington football team with Dan Snyder. I'm just like, that makes me a little bit queasy Talk to us about Antonio Gibson and why you're so much higher than market on him. Every time Adam sees Antonio Gibson, he just thinks Dan Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to draft a lot of Antonio Gibson if that's your process. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I mean, they need to get quarterback figured out for sure. But if they do, I mean, this guy has everything we're looking for. You, you, you just laid it out. Like the red flag on him is that, you know, he didn't catch passes. It's a fake red flag. He's a converted wide receiver. That's, we know he can do that. And JD McKissick is a free agent after the year. You know, I think one thing for dynasty purposes to, to always consider is what are these guys going to look like as we close the year, right? So is JD McKissick going to get phased out for the second half of 2021 and then get let go, you know, or not re-signed. And now, Gibson's heading into the 2022 season as kind of a clear workhorse. Hopefully they've got the QB situation a little bit better. And at that point, he might be a top five redraft pick. And that's like the, with, with these, with these running backs, these young running backs are so expensive. And so I feel strongly that you need to have access to that kind of ceiling to the top five in a redraft league type of ceiling. Um, Because otherwise you're, putting a lot of your team's overall capital into a guy that's not going to really make a huge difference for you. Yeah. I'm curious, Evan, I, I know you haven't started yet on your top 150, but do you think Antonio Gibson has 
Like, could you see a scenario where Antonio Gibson ends up in your top 10 or top 12 for redraft this season? I think that might be tough. I, I think that he's going to be a, a second to third round pick. I think maybe right around that two, three turn is sort of just, you know, based on feel, based on intuition. That's where I think he'll, he'll end up. Yeah. What do you think of his rookie year in general? Uh, I thought it was, it was very impressive. I mean, the, he did have that, those constraints on his role from J.D. McKissick. Um, you know, a lot of that I think can be attributed to, you know, the fact that he was a raw rookie. I mean, he, and he was a particularly raw, you know, in, in a year where, uh, the rookies didn't even, you know, barely even got to practice before the season began. Um, but he was better than expected between the tackles. I think we saw, you know, the big play flashes from him. Um, I, I was really impressed. I think that, you, you, you know, if you had taken Antonio Gibson, where was he going? Like second round in dynasty rookie in dynasty rookie drafts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you feel very, very good about the equity that he earned um, because I think if we could redo it again, he probably does go uh, in the first round, maybe late in the first round. I mean, there were a lot of good receivers. Oh yeah. And, and you see a recurring theme in Pat's rankings. And honestly, whenever I do drafts to pass catching running backs is what we're looking for. There's just so much more upside. The floor is so much higher. And so it makes a huge, huge, huge difference in hindsight, you know, no matter what the role was second round rookie draft for Anthony Gibson was way too late. Obviously let's go to DJ Moore. Uh, Karain has DJ Moore 17th overall, the wide receiver eight. DJ Moore is entering his age 24 season. He's really struggled to find the end zone, and we know how variant and how kind of noisy that can be. He's really struggled to find the end zone, though, in his NFL career. Does not have a quarterback right now. I don't think they're going to bring back Teddy. I don't think they think Teddy is the man. Evan and I talked about that on an earlier podcast, but they seem very intent on finding a solution, whether it's Deshaun Watson or some bit, something big and splashy. We don't know. The other thing that leaning in uh, DJ Moore's favor is Curtis Samuel, I think, is almost certainly gone in free agency, or at least likely to be gone in free agency. So you have a long time history with DJ Moore, Karain. I feel like it's kind of a, I don't want to say a running bit, but you are known as a DJ Moore guy. 17th overall, though, is still way above ADP. What are your thoughts heading in to DJ Moore? I think it'll be his fourth NFL season. Yeah, when you guys tweet out the the dynasty rankings, you use a picture, and I think DJ Moore has been the picture like three or four times. <laughs> so I've been consistently high on DJ Moore, but He's been awesome since he entered the league. He was a great prospect, first-round pick. And this past year, I think, was better than people realized. He had a 2.23 yards per route run this year. That was higher than DK Metcalf, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen. It's his second season over two yards per route run. He also had a pretty good rookie season just under there. So he has been everything we're looking for, really, um, when we you know, looked at his prospect profile. Uh, a few years ago. So the the other thing about DJ Moore, you mentioned that the touchdowns, I mean, he's he's awesome after the catch. So that's not really a huge concern to me. Like, I don't think it's a an issue of like his, you know, his player profile. And this past year, although there was some frustrating weeks, he also showed that he can operate at all depths of the field. He's not just a guy who can, you know, needs to be used shallow and then run after the catch, he can operate as a deep threat. So he's kind of like, kind of like how we saw with Stefan Diggs, where, you know, they're using him a couple of years ago, they were just using him as a deep threat and it was frustrating. But the fact that he can operate at that, you know, in that NFL role is actually pretty exciting. And now we're probably going to see better quarterback play. And at least maybe, you know, maybe it's a rookie, 
maybe we don't see better quarterback play ultimately this year, but I didn't feel like Teddy was a great fit for DJ Moore. So just any, you know, quarterback change, I think is, is something that I'm looking forward to. And as you mentioned, Curtis Samuel's going to be gone and they don't really have any tight end to worry about. Um, Ian Thomas is just kind of running empty routes. So this is a very concentrated offense. Uh, if there is an upgrade in quarterback play, DJ Moore could be a total smash this year. Yeah, I feel like he's going to be a guy who just pops up all of a sudden and like scores 11 touchdowns, yeah. you know, in, in a year. And if you go back and look at his college career, like he scored uh, 14 between his sophomore and junior seasons. He, he left uh, after his junior year. He scored 14 touchdowns 100, on 121 receptions. That's a pretty good touchdown scoring rate um, per reception. So I, I think it's just it's just you know year to year volatility. We're still in kind of small sample sizes with him, and all of a sudden I think he's going to have like an 11 touchdown year. He's like he just makes so much sense as as a buy target this particular offseason. and he's still like really young. I mean, he came oh, yeah. out of college. He was real young when he came out. That's what I was going to say. I mean, DJ Moore is entering his age 24, his fourth NFL season at age 24. And so Pat has guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas just behind uh, DJ Moore in the dynasty rankings. Of course, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be 29 soon. Michael Thomas is 28. You know, you squeeze out like an extra five years. It makes a huge difference uh, on your dynasty team. All right, let's get to another outlier here. T Higgins. You have T Higgins 25th overall. He's entering his second NFL season at age 22. I mean, I was impressed with T Higgins last year. Like even with Joe, even with Joe Burrow going down, even with AJ Green kind of still mucking around, T Higgins went 67, 9086 as a stone rookie. Obviously, you were impressed by what you saw from T Higgins. Also, Corrine talked to the people about having him 25th overall. You have T Higgins ahead of CeeDee Lamb, which was probably an unpopular take, ahead of Amari Cooper, ahead of Allen Robinson. Yeah, I'm really excited about what T. Higgins did as a rookie. He was a prospect that I had a hard time with because he didn't have a ton of college production. He didn't really hit the thresholds that I was looking for. But he did profile as a guy that had like a really wide range of outcomes and it could end up having a huge ceiling. Basically a first-round pick, first selection of the second round. Um, he had an incredibly high yards per route run as a true junior 3.67 yards per route run and the rest of his team, you know, very good team combined for 2.19. So uh, he was just, you know, that without the production, but showing those huge flashes when he was on the field, my prior for him is just huge ceiling, but a low floor. And then he came in, had a really strong yards per route run as a rookie 1.83 and he was really good even without Burrow, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. His yards per outrun didn't really fall off. A.J. Green is going to be gone. They also have Tyler Boyd there, but Boyd strikes me as a dude who's going to help keep the offense on track more so than like actually take away targets. Higgins looks like he's poised to kind of be the alpha wide receiver in this offense. And then the thing with a guy like Higgins tied to this young quarterback, he probably needs like 13 points per game to maintain his value. So you're getting a chance to have him explode and have this DK Metcalf type of breakout season. But even if he doesn't, even if he does like a little bit less than he did as a rookie, you're probably going to be able to sell him for what you're paying right now. Maybe not if you do it based on where I am ranked, but where he's going in drafts, you can, you can basically sell out and get almost a free shot at, at a second year breakout. 
Yeah. And Reinder, as Evans talked about a lot with the top 150, be aware of ADP when you're drafting. Just because Kareen has T. Higgins 25th overall doesn't mean you have to take him there to get him. Like, where do you think people can realistically get T. Higgins in their draft? Kareen, do you have any idea? He was going, I believe, in like the fourth round. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He's going in the fourth round, around 34th overall. Yeah. I and mean, we've talked a lot about stacking also in all forms of fantasy. Leone wrote a big article last year about why stacking makes sense in even season-long leagues. I mean, God, having T. Higgins and Joe Burrow together for the next like six years would be really exciting for me. Evan, any T. Higgins takes after what you saw from his rookie year? I just I feel real good about him. I, coming into the league, I didn't know exactly what to think about him. And I think that this is why he did slip to the uh, the the top of the second round is because he was like a vertical receiver uh, in college who – didn't create a ton of separation. And then his workout metrics were kind of pedestrian. And mm-hmm. so it's like, well, you know, is that, is that skill set that, tr- tr- uh, that, that skill set that he won with in college going to translate to the NFL? All we need to see is that, yes, it did. Boom. He's a hit. I'll sort of take the L on being, you know, not, not super confident on, on what to think about him. And, and so should all the NFL teams that passed on him. Okay. Ezekiel Elliott, this is a guy who, you know, uh, I've held on my team because I thought I was a contender, a contender. And now I get to a spot where nobody wants Ezekiel Elliott anymore. Corrine is not helping. Corrine has ranked Ezekiel Elliott 32nd overall. I mean, as you noted in the article, in the rankings, Corrine, the thing is Dallas can't really get out of his contract right now. I mean, six years, 90 million contract he signed in 2019. They have at least two more years with him to before they can get out like reasonably. He's still only 26. But 1,400 carries already, 241 catches. And also, you know, the Cowboys offensive line has just been decimated and deteriorated to the point where it's not even like an average unit anymore. And so there's a lot of concerns on Ezekiel Elliott. I think a lot of people think the offense would run better with Tony Pollard. Obviously, the Cowboys, I don't think, will execute in that fashion. But still, obviously, I should be trying to sell Ezekiel Elliott, I think, right now. What do you think, Kareem? Yeah, I think you definitely want to be shopping him right now. You're probably going to get a lot of people telling you to take a hike uh, when you're shopping Zeke Elliott for, you know, what he used to go for. Uh, But I think with a guy like Zeke is, you know, dynasty owners, they also play a lot of redraft. And as we get into July and August, everyone's going to kind of shift more into redraft mindset. And at that point, you know, Zeke Elliott is going to start to look a little bit more appealing. Um, This time of year, all the younger guys are, are going to be, the guys everyone wants to be loading up on their team. So I wouldn't be taking Zeke in startups, but I also wouldn't be like forcing myself to sell him because his situation is very stable. And now with the, the DAC deal, you know, it's just even more stable. The concern is if you take him into the season, is he in a full-blown committee with Tony Pollard? Because Pollard was a lot better as a rusher last year. Pollard was second to only Nick Chubb in PFF's elusive rating. Zeke was 26th. Pollard was RB10 in breakaway percentage, which was one spot ahead of Derrick Henry. Uh, Zeke was running back 44. Neither guy was good in yards per route run, but Pollard was slightly better. So you already saw Zeke losing snaps to Pollard this past year. If this is a full-blown committee in 2021, then I don't think people are really going to care that Zeke's under contract for 2022 because at that point, it's like, well, it's probably his last year on Dallas. Mm-hmm. We're heading into that, and I don't feel confident that this guy's actually going to, you know, make a difference for my fantasy team. So, at you know, halfway through 2021, you could be looking at an even bigger uh, blow to his trade value. 
Yeah. I mean, I just know Zeke was like unplayable in DFS for most of last year. And that certainly doesn't bode well for his dynasty rankings. But it's going to be a tough redraft ranking, Evan, on Zeke because we know he can score 10, 15 touchdowns, you know, really easily. What do you think? Yeah. And he and it's going to be really tempting to talk ourselves back into him, I think, as we approach the season because I think this Dallas offense is going to be phenomenal Uh again you know I mean that was the take I think to have uh Uh entering last year that they might be the the NFC's version of Kansas City and they kind of were that um until Dak went down uh and then and it wasn't just Dak that went down I mean it was like their entire offensive line so um it's going to be, I mean, I, I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go right back to the well on Dallas. Uh, Zeke would be the guy I would have the most hesitance toward. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm buying the Cowboys offense. That, that's for sure. Okay. Speaking of someone Evan was low on last year, Kareen is low on as well. That's Josh Jacobs. You have Josh Jacobs, 46th overall. He's still very young, Kareen. I mean, Josh Jacobs is only 23 years old, but only 72 targets in 28 NFL games. I mean, that's real, real, real rough, especially when you play on a team, which, you know, we don't expect to be world beaters or very good anytime in the near future. And so when you're not playing on pass downs, well, that's a major, major problem for Josh Jacobs. I certainly don't mind being low on him here, as you'll see again throughout the rankings, pass catching running backs are what we are prioritizing. I think a pretty easy fade here, but what do you think? And where's Josh Jacobs going anyways? Are people actually excited about Josh Jacobs and Dynasty? Yeah, so Josh Jacobs is sort of the opposite of that Antonio Gibson point that I made earlier where he's just not profiling like a guy who's going to be a difference-making running back, a guy who's going to have you know 20-plus points per game. Another way to think about it is like how often is DraftKings going to put him at 8K or more this year? Like He wasn't at 8K or more in any weeks last year. So what's changing? And I don't really see much changing for Josh Jacobs. I don't they're for whatever reason, I know it's not Josh Jacobs' fault, but for whatever reason, they're not utilizing him as a, a three-down pass catching running back. So with these young running backs, so much of their upside is already priced into their ADP. And you kind of have to play that game because you need to have access to some of these elite running backs. And most of them do come from the young running backs we're all excited about. But once we get more information that says, all right, maybe this guy just is never going to have that type of ceiling, you need to be pretty quick about moving off him. And you still can do that right now. Josh Jacobs in ADP is at 22. He's actually going one spot ahead of Antonio Gibson. So right there, if I, if I was able to get Antonio Gibson straight up for Josh Jacobs, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, Evan, I know you're low on Josh Jacobs' role also. I don't know if we have too much to add here. We've talked so much about Josh Jacobs' role. Yeah, not a ton to add. I mean, you just kind of have to remember that, you know, even at Alabama, I mean, he could not definitively hold off Damian Harris, who, I mean, Damian Harris is fine. You know, I think he's probably typifies replacement level running back. I mean, how much better is Josh Jacobs than the guy he essentially played behind in college? Um, I, I, you know, his broken tackle rate is impressive and then not much else. And, and as he has, you know, become, or the Raiders have tried to use him as a bell cow workhorse back, uh, he has not really held up physically. I mean, it's like he's banged up every single week, um, you know, and there's – I think that there's something special and, and inherent about running backs that can, like, withstand just an unbelievable amount of punishment. They tend to show that, though, 
in college and then it translates into the pros. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think the, the Raiders might want to look at bringing in another back to further reduce his usage to keep that, um, keep that wear and tear down on Josh Jacobs. Yep. And there'll be rhetoric this offseason like there always is with every two down running back. Oh, this is the year we're going to get Josh Jacobs five, six targets a game. Like there's always the rhetoric and it so rarely comes to fruition. I want to talk about two Jaguars here. The first one is LaVisca Chenault. Second one is James Robinson. LaVisca, uh, I don't know, man. Like it was I, I thought it was like a bit slash joke. I mean, Corrine was taking LaVisca every time LaVisca and, and Overzet were taking uh, LaVisca. Overzet and Corrine were taking LaVisca every time it got to them in like the 13th round or whatever of redraft last year. And I thought we saw positive things like you guys definitely had a hit on him. 58 catches as a rookie, certainly not a difference maker, but now things are certainly trending up. You get Trevor Lawrence in there. You're getting Urban Meyer, the new regime. I'm way more excited about LaVisca than James Robinson. Now you have James Robinson, 41st overall. I'm worried about James Robinson. I mean, new regime. They have zero draft capital invested in him i don't see much stopping the jaguars from adding more backs and turning this into a committee with james robinson i'm a little bit surprised you have him 41st overall but you have visca 54th overall so let's talk about the jaguars for a second here Corrine, how'd you come to these ranks on visca and james robinson yeah Lavisca was not amazing as a rookie but he was pretty good 1.55 yards per out run in a pretty bad situation and yeah expecting that huge boost in quarterback play. And he was just a really underrated prospect. Um, there were questions about him. We did have some legitimate questions. He had an injury history uh, in college. And there were concerns that, you know, he might be used as kind of a gimmick player at the NFL level. Only 27% of his snaps came in the slot. He was mixed in as a rusher, but he was essentially a traditional wide receiver. And I think that's exactly what we wanted to see. You know, he's a guy that can be used in a lot of ways, but he can He's a real NFL wide receiver. He's not just kind of a gimmick player. In addition to the improved quarterback play, we may see better pace out of Jacksonville because they were a very slow team. Um, so I think it's everything's kind of looking better for LaVisca Chenault with that offense. And optimism for the offense keeps me somewhat interested in, in James Robinson. I'm actually a little bit behind ADP on him just by a handful of spots. But um, he, you know, so I, I actually don't, consider myself particularly high on James Robinson for some of the same reasons that you just mentioned, you know, that they have a completely new coaching staff. They have nothing tied to him. We could see them bring someone in his like kind of superpower last year. Wasn't necessarily the way he played, but just that he got all the snaps. Yeah. Outrageous he, role. Yeah. That's something we can't really count on this year. So I'll be quick to move him down. If we get any kind of news about them bringing someone in, Obviously, though, if the offense takes a step forward, he's their clear-cut lead back, and they you know, maybe bring in someone to be a little bit better version of, of the Chris Thompson, Daria Gumbawale role, then he'll still be pretty valuable. Um, and, uh, you know, he's U UDFA, so his contract is like kind of a half year shorter. They, they got to pick him up with the, the restricted free agent in his fourth year, but, you know, basically under this safe rookie contract. So uh, you do have that floor playing in. Yeah, it's got to be exciting for these guys, for Trevor Lawrence, at least. Evan, what do you think about Viskin, James Robinson, and Dynasty? Yeah, I'm excited about this offense. Um, I like I like the Daryl Bevel hire. You know, Urban Meyer consistently in college uh, maximized the, the talents of, of the, the skill position players that he had. Um, 
I think the offensive line has a chance to take a step. Um, I think that LaVisca, although his metrics weren't standout, maybe on paper, man, I thought he passed the eye test. He kind of reminded me of Brandon Marshall in his first year coming when he, when he came out of UCF. And then after that, it was just like, forget about it. You know, like you, you had to get Brandon Marshall early um, and, and when he was flashing. And, and I think that that's exactly what LaVisca did as a rookie. He flashed DJ Chark coming back for another year, Trevor Lawrence, um, and, and I'm really, really wary about James Robinson. But you do make a good point, Pat, in that, hey, you know, if things break right here for, for James Robinson and, and all these things kind of pop together, um, because there there is a legitimate amount of young talent on this Jaguars offense, and they're just going to drop in a, a quarterback that has looked ready to play in the NFL since he was a freaking true freshman in college, like – you know, there there is a significant amount of upside to, to James Robinson. I, I would be trying to sell on, on all those merits, but um, no no question, like that, that could be end up looking like a dumb take. You know, uh, six months from now. One guy I want to bring up, and this is kind of what I was mentioning at the beginning, just like, hey, I want to bet on talent in Dynasty and let it all shake out later, especially at the wide receiver position. I think Chase Claypool. I mean, just on the eye test, Chase Claypool was out of control good this past year i know he had that lull in the middle of the year where the steelers for whatever reason trying to save him i don't know exactly what didn't play him as much but now with juju expected to move on i mean chase claypool 23 years old uh i'd be more excited i think than you have him here kareem you have him 44th overall wide receiver 20 i'm not sure where that lines up against adp but man like to me the difference between t higgins and chase claypool the only difference would be quarterback play obviously Ben Roethlisberger is a major major concern Pittsburgh's done nothing to develop quarterbacks behind Ben Roethlisberger so what do you think about having Chase Claypool 44th overall am I selling you at all on moving him up yeah a little bit I mean I'm I'm about 10 spots ahead of ADP um so you know I am I am bullish on him but the concern the, is the, the, quarterback the, play. the rest of the rest of the dynasty community is still holding on those takes uh, that he should move the tight end. Right. <laughs> I was hoping we'd get a, a rant about the tight end. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think you should be converted to tight end, Evan? Oh man. No, I mean, they, no, no, I don't think so. I mean, what, what happened only, to all those tweets? What happened to all those tweets? Where are they? They like when they got around the goal line, their first option was not James Conner, was not Juju, was not – their first option was like, let's get the ball to Chase Claypool any way we can when we're around the five-yard line. And I thought as a rookie, and I thought that spoke volumes too. So, so yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, no, he had an awesome rookie year. Um, I wasn't quite as high on him as a prospect, a four-year player. Didn't, didn't have the overwhelming career-long production that I'd really like to see from those four-year players. But, you know, he was a second-round pick. Highly athletic, huge. And so you're going, man, if this dude can play, like he's going to, he's going to hit really hard. So luckily, like I, I preferred him to the other four year guys who weren't overly productive, like Michael Pittman and Denzel Mims. So I was able to get some exposure to him there, but still way too low. I mean, he had 1.9 yards per route run. Um, he's looking, you know, he's kind of profiling similarly to like how DK Metcalf looked as, as a rookie. Mm-hmm you know, flashing, still pretty raw, but no doubt about, you know, what this guy can do, what his strengths are. So with Juju Smith-Schuster going to be out likely, then there's opportunity opening up in this offense, which 
you know, alleviate some of the concern about the quarterback play. It is a little bit frustrating that we have this emerging wide receiver though. And, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is in total decline and declining in particular in the way we would want to see with Claypool. We want to see him go deep and he's kind of lost that element of his game. So that would be the concern, but you know, Claypool looks like he's going to be a long-term, very talented NFL wide receiver. So if you get a buying opportunity on him, I think you got to take it and then hope, uh, you know, the quarterback situation ends up working out down the line. Uh, in my proprietary PSM penis size model, you mentioned two guys that are popping big time, Chase Claypool and DK Metcalf, both uh, popping in a big, big way in the PSM. Evan, uh, any thoughts on on Chase Claypool here? I mean, it, can he overcome what's going on with Ben right now? And do we, I mean, Steelers have to address quarterback at some point here. They can't keep going with like Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph as their backups right. and, and as their prospects. Yeah, I mean, it's just year in, year out. I mean, they're going to be because they've got a good defense. They can be competent enough on offense that they're not going to be in position to draft, you know, an early round, early first round quarterback. And that's really the way to get quarterbacks in, in the NFL, unless you have a ton of cap space. And they certainly do not have that. So yeah. um, they're kind of in quarterback purgatory. They've like devolved into quarterback purgatory even though they've like had the same quarterback and I mean it's again Corrine talks about you know he, he does such a good job of assessing like the upside and the downside of all these players and the downside is that that quarterback situation um, because man I mean you you see a, 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 a brilliant young talent in Chase Claypool you see a potential uh, you know more opportunity opening up for him as Juju leaves so I guess the the three receiver set is probably going to have primarily Deontay Johnson uh, inside and then James Washington and Chase Claypool outside uh, would be the three receiver set that I would expect so his opportunity is expanding after he was sort of limited uh, as a rookie playing in what amounted to a four receiver rotation Um, I don't know the 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 talent is tantalizing the situation could get ugly fast yep um, okay, I don't want to talk specifically about these guys, Korean. I just want to say, hey, get your take generally on older guys. And so guys that are in the age model are getting close to the age model uh, red zone. Travis Kelsey is 31 years old. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is coming off probably the best year of his career, at least as a pass catcher, but 31 years old. You have him 28th overall, the tight end too. Behind 20, only behind 27-year-old George Kittle at the tight end position. Devontae Adams is 28. I mean, he's still operating, obviously, at an extremely, extremely high level. Julio is one that I have concerns about. He's 32 now. I thought he showed some serious signs of decline. You have him down at wide receiver 34. Devonta Adams is still your wide receiver one in Dynasty. But just generally speaking, how do you handle these guys that are getting towards 30 or over 30 who are really going him? Is it as simple as, hey, if I'm in contention, I'm going to hang on to them. If I'm not in contention, I'm going to dump them. I think the thing to keep in mind, you know, with wide receivers, right where Devonte Adams is, is where he's going to start to lose the most trade value. It's that like 28, 29 range, even sometimes 27, where you know you could have sold this guy for just a huge haul. And then all of a sudden, a year later, people start to get wary. And that's what you have to keep in mind with Adams. You really, truly need to be a contending team. But as you mentioned, I have him wide receiver one. I mean, historic season. He won me some titles like... He's an incredible asset. So you can't, you can't, like at some point you're trying to win a fantasy league. So if you have the team around DeMonte Adams to actually make a title run, 
then I think you make that title run, but just be aware of kind of what you're, what you're essentially like bleeding in terms of trade value. He's going to lose a bunch of trade value probably because he isn't going to go back to back on, on historic seasons. He is very likely to have a down year from what we saw in 2020, but he's still a very strong bet to have a difference making type of season Um, with Julio Jones and those guys, they're already through that window. So Julio Jones is like, you're not, you know, you're two, three years from the time where you could get a huge haul from Julio Jones. And at this point, he's actually pretty easy to acquire. And so sometimes I think, you know, the worst type of dudes to be holding are like the 29 about to turn 30 guys. And if you can come back in after the fact and get Julio Jones really cheap from a team that, you know, thought he was going to be awesome for the next, you know, six years when he was 29. Mm-hmm. And now he is starting to show some signs of decline. Um, you know, and their team isn't all that strong anymore. You can, you can get those guys pretty cheap. So uh, that's kind of how I like to play that. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Okay. Uh, free agency and the draft is coming up. We're going a little long here, but I want to go through some of these guys quickly that people can make moves on before free agency, before the NFL draft. We spent a bunch of time already on the pod talking about Tyler Higby. We do expect Gerald Everett to move on. Tyler Higby has shown, at least for a flash late in 2019, that he can be an absolute difference maker at the tight end position, at a position where there really aren't very many difference makers. So I think trying to acquire Tyler Higby before everybody realizes Gerald Everett is going to be gone, I think makes sense. And then there's all these guys like AJ Dillon, who I think it's probably baked in a little bit that people's risk on Aaron Jones uh, might be gone. But when that actually happens, AJ Dillon's uh, role is going, ADP is going to spike a ton. And then you also have guys on here like Gabe Davis, Jalen Hurts, Chase Edmonds. So Corrine, talk to the people about how you play things before free agency and the draft specifically around some of those guys. Yeah, I think generally it's better to target the guys who are remaining on their team and are likely to see more opportunity going forward than to target the guys changing teams. I mean, there's obvious exceptions, but, you know, A.J. Dillon's interesting because it's not just Aaron Jones as a free agent. Jamal Williams is also a free agent. Mm -hmm. So one way or another, he should see an increased role. Obviously, they just spent a second-round pick on him, so that seems to be part of the plan. And he actually looked pretty good last year. Um, He was – you know, we only saw like 40 something attempts from him, but he was actually first in PFF's elusive rating. So, you know, he, he ran well on the limited opportunity. I don't think he is a bum. Let me put it that way. I don't think he's going to really have the profile I normally look for with the, the three down, you know, passing running back, complete uh, fantasy running back type of profile, but that's not what he costs. You know, you can get him a lot cheaper than, than your typical running back, your typical young second round running back. So uh, I like him. Chase Edmonds is a guy I'll mention. Uh, you do need to keep in mind he is a free agent after the season. So he's like kind of a swing for the fences, contenders only type of dude where you're saying, all right, if Drake's, a, you know, leaves in free agency, um, Edmonds did get 96% of the snaps in the one game that Drake missed in 2020. Maybe he's actually like a clear cut lead running back this year. There's a few different ways that can fail. Um, and then he could also fail in that role. So it's risky in a, a number of ways, but, uh, you know, I think not overly expensive to try to acquire Jalen hurts is a dude. Who's just, yeah. again, huge ceiling. I think in a lot of ways in shallower dynasty leagues, you really only need to be concerned about ceiling at the quarterback position. It's just so easy to, to find replacements at quarterback. And so like, if you, trade for Jalen Hurts, you know, relatively cheaply. He's not that expensive right now. 
and the the Eagles draft somebody, that sucks, but like it's not going to kill you. If they don't draft someone, he looks like he could be an absolute fantasy weapon. Yeah. So and just yeah. think when these when these Jalen Hurts MVP futures hit, like I mean, what is he, what's he going to cost you in twenty twenty two? Because right. you know, I mean, you could still get him at sixty six to one. I, I was taking him at eighty to one a couple of weeks ago. We're already up to sixty six. Jump yeah. in, guys. Jump in. Get it now. Get it while the getting is good. There was a hundred to ones available, even uh, you know, a little bit before uh, that. And I would say that also there's a report from Chris Mortensen this week saying that the Eagles do not plan to prioritize the quarterback position in free agency or the draft. In other words, they want to put their eggs in Jalen Hurts' basket and see how it goes. And Evan has talked about that on podcasts before, how, hey, this is a good season to just kind of see how it goes with Jalen Hurts and then kind of address it from there. So we're pretty confident Jalen Hurts is going to enter the season as the starter. We have him very high in our best ball rankings, and Kareem has him as the QB10 in Dynasty as well. One of the guy I wanted to bring up wow. is Gabe. QB10, yo, love that, dude, love yeah. that. No, it was apparently a mandate from Jeff Lurie, their owner, that, mm-hmm. hey, and Jeff Lurie is a, a – I mean, I, th- I think he's a great owner, but he's also a hands-on owner, and he's someone that has like – re- he's really tight with Howie Roseman. And I think that this is definitely something that 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 could happen. Yeah. Uh, Gabe Davis is the last one I wanted to mention here. Um, I played Gabe Davis a few times in on DraftKings in like the 3K, 3,500 range. Certainly performed well. I mean, on a ton of volume from Josh Allen. So, like, it has to be adjusted for all that – volume but if they're going to keep playing this offense where they throw on every down and maybe john brown is gone or something like that you could be looking at a big role for gabe davis you have him 84th overall korean it sounds like you can probably sneak him uh in in dynasty startups probably later than that i would guess uh what do you think is gonna happen with gabe davis yeah gabe davis adp is like 128 right now so i'm i'm way ahead of of consensus but i think john john brown's a cut candidate um and if he gets that role, it's it's just going to be wheels up. Like, yeah. I'm excited about Gabe Davis. He was a fourth round pick, saw the field right away. Pretty interesting prospect. Like, came out a year early, did have a pretty strong junior year, kind of a one hit wonder. So you're a little bit concerned about the floor, but the ceiling looks very promising. And then you know gets on the field, is really involved, um, and in that exact role the role that john brown is vacating is exactly what we think gabe davis's strengths are going to be so it's kind of a perfect fit and this is an offense that we want pieces of so you know and after the year actually cole beasley is a free agent obviously very different role uh, gabriel gabriel davis not gonna be operating out of the slot like that but just in terms of you know targets being available within the offense and him being able to step up and take an even bigger piece of the pie um, you know, another year from now, there's room to grow. So he's a player that I think is definitely someone to be out in front of because, again, you just want guys tied to these really good quarterbacks and in pass-heavy offenses. And he was a, a, a very underrated prospect, I think, with that, um, with that high ceiling that coming into the NFL early with a strong breakout season gives you. All right. Before we get out of here, I just want to mention on today's news, get Evan's take quickly on today's news. We don't have all the tag, the free agency tag news yet, but we do know that the Lions have decided not to franchise Kenny Galladay. I'm kind of happy for Galladay if we look at this through a dynasty lens. I mean, I didn't think it was going to be great for him with Jared Goff, even though he would have sucked up a ton of targets. We don't know what the Lions are going to do. They have a ton of holes on offense, especially at the wide receiver position now. But yeah, where would you like to see 
Kenny Galladay land Evan again Kenny Galladay a stone free agent now that the Lions have decided not to franchise tag him we I, I would like to see him land with the Rams um, and that's who we talked about on the last mm-hmm. uh, the last time we talked discussed these topics I mean you know the Rams um, they they are a team that is willing to pay top dollar to top players and you know kind of just mine for the rest of their roster um, we've seen them commit tons and tons of money to you know, guys like Jared Goff and even Gurley and Aaron Donald and, um, you know, Jalen Ramsey and and then just kind of just kind of, you know, rely on their scouting acumen or, you know, and, un- and even undrafted free agency. And they, they found some good undrafted free agent players to, like, line out the rest of their roster. Um I think they might be willing to take a chance on a guy like, like Kenny Galladay, if they, if they can find a way to, to fit it. I mean, Kenny Galladay opposite Robert Woods with Cooper cup in the slot, Tyler Higby at tight end, maybe then those Matthew Stafford 16 to one MVP uh, props are, aren't looking, you know, so, so, so weak. Yeah. Um, Kenny Galladay is old for a player uh, hitting free agency for the first time. Um, Seems like, uh, he's young, but really, I think he's like 26 or 27. So I think it's a it's a very he, he came out a little old. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. The other news that we got today, mentioned at the top, of course, the biggest news of the day: Hunter Henry has the the Chargers decided not. Somewhat surprising, I think, have decided not to franchise tag Hunter Henry. Kareen has the egregious mistake in his rankings of not having Donald <laughs> Parham ranked at and all. That'll be corrected his, soon in his dynasty rankings. I mean, gosh, you know, to take a guy who was just the clear cut best prospect in the XFL, put him in a situation like not just any situation with Justin Herbert, one of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the NFL on a team with an aging somewhat uh, Keenan Allen on a team where Mike Williams is a free agent on a team where Hunter Henry is now gone. Virgil Green is a free agent. Also, like you couldn't line it up any better for Donald Parham, it's just so exciting, man. Um, like he could have ended up back with Washington. Washington had him for a while. They let him go before he was in the XFL. He could have ended up on the Bears. They decided to give uh, Jimmy Graham like a $10 million contract or something insane. So it's like a perfect run out for Don Parham. It's like I, I couldn't imagine uh, this lining up any better. So Kareen in the next run will have Parham ranked in the top 20 uh, overall where where Donald Parham belongs. I, I, I'll make sure of it. What's the PSM uh, rating on him? Yeah, it's popping through the roof. I mean, it can't even, it can't even, it, the model is actually broken. We have to recalibrate the underlying algorithm because uh, it's actually broken. Uh, last thing I want to talk about today is the Kyle Rudolph news. So Kyle Rudolph, I mean, credit to him. He was like, Vikings went to him and said, uh, we'd like you to take a pay cut. We'd like you to stay. We'd like you to take a pay cut. He said, nah, you know, fuck you, pay me. And that was it. So now he's gone. And so now it's Irv Smith. And now it's Tyler Conklin. Evan, I know you're excited about both these guys, I think with pretty good reason. How do you see it playing out, at least from a redraft perspective, on these Vikings tight ends? I think they're both going to get a lot of playing time. I think that Ur is the clear pass-catching tight end, and then Tyler Conklin might jump into the just the straight one-for-one Kyle Rudolph role. Um, and I think that Irv, as we saw as last season progressed, like his role is going to continue to get bigger and bigger. Um you know, I, they, they're a team that doesn't have very much salary cap space. I don't think they're going to go out and sign another tight end. You know, I think they're going to roll with these two guys. You can probably pick Tyler Conklin up off the waiver wire in a lot of dynasty leagues. And Irv, if you've got him, you know, um, your arrow's up. 
Yeah, one thing about the Vikings tight ends, I mean, they use their tight ends around the red zone so much. And I know they use Thielen in the red zone a lot too, but they run very specific plays for their tight ends. You can see double-digit touchdowns. I mean, Irv, I remember everybody was making fun of me one week. I played Irv at like 2,800 on DraftKings. He ran seven routes and scored two touchdowns. I mean, but that was all part of the thesis. That was part of the thesis of playing him was that he was going to be heavily involved at the goal line. Uh, Corrine, how excited are you about Irv? In Dynasty, I believe he came out pretty young. He did. Yeah, he came out super young. Uh, still on his rookie deal. Going to be on his rookie deal next year. Uh, I'm excited. I think, I think I'm like 20 plus spots ahead of ADP on him. But he's going to be one of these guys who's going to be very trendy. He'll keep moving up. With tight end, you know, there's only a few of these guys who really matter. But everyone has to have one, you know. And so I think every offseason – there's guys who get trendy at that position um, that get a lot of buzz. And so if you happen to have Irv Smith right now, I, you got to hold them. Cause I think it's only going to get, you know, people are only going to get more excited. And as we start to look into redraft rankings and stuff, he's going to look, he's going to be a very trendy kind of breakout guy with that role all to himself. And this is a team that utilizes the tight end. Um, and I think he's a pretty decent player and, and certainly a player that could take a step forward. So He's someone to try to get now if someone's sleeping on him. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I would not be selling on the buzz that he's about to get because I think that'll just be the beginning. Yep, for sure. Okay. This is awesome. We'll have Pat on probably sometime around the draft or after the draft talk about this incoming rookie class and what kind of impact we expect them to have. In the meantime, check out his rankings up on the site right now in the draft kit later this week. I will be joined by the guys from Team Rankings to talk about NCAA tournament strat, not about teams, not about, you know, which players we think are great or which teams we think are great, specifically strategy on how to beat your uh, NCAA tournament bracket, because I actually think that there is a ton of game theory and strat that just people just, I mean, blindly are overlooking. You can gain a huge, huge edge uh, there with some of the stuff that we talk about with DFS tournaments, applying it to March Madness brackets. So stay tuned for that likely on Friday. All right. That's going to do it for this Dynasty episode of the podcast. For Pecorine, for Silva, for Producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.